Hello, and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. In this third of a seven-part series, Dorje Lopan Dr. Han Lai teaches about the bardo, or intermediate state between death and birth, through an exploration of Padmasambhava's root verses of the six bardos. This text is part of the great liberation upon hearing, revealed by Karma Lingpa, often known in the West as the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, TibetanSpirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at UdharmaNC.com. Thanks for listening. Sometimes the distraction that we are stuck in is the kind of distraction that says you're not good enough you cannot practice the Dharma because you're too busy you're too uh, lazy these ideas that you have about yourself can be a form of distraction but that is when you don't realize how lucky you are so the understanding of this precious human life is also you know that Joy is supposed to arise. You say, ah, wow, this is not going to happen again. So we should really use this opportunity. Then sometimes even Tibetans, they kind of joke, you know. They say, this is precious human life, you know. If you're not going to practice very hard, you better party very hard. (laughs) Because it's not going to come back again. (laughs) Yes, I think this has something to do with... uh, uh, Tibetan culture is basically cowboy culture. Like Western cowboy culture. They really respect people who do everything and do it 100%. So they say you either enjoy life 100% or you practice Dharma 100%. Don't live through life like half asleep or half awake. Then you have wasted this, then it's gone. Then you have lost. So if you don't want to practice Dharma, then you better be successful in the world, make a lot of money, enjoy it, because after that it's finished. (laughs) The point, of course, is I'm not encouraging you to do that. The point is that we really need, you know, to be energized. Like sometimes I think Buddhists are a little bit depressed. Some sort of mild chronic depression. <laughs> that is the style, you know. So everybody... Oh. <laughs> or even if we're not, right? If outsider, we laugh and we talk, once come into Buddhist temple. <laughs> Everybody start pretending, you know, like, oh, all quiet. It's very unnatural. If you look at, you know, if it arises from your own insight, That's a different thing. I'm not talking about that. But if you pretend and you think, oh, to be Buddhist is to be mildly depressed, 
a little bit unfriendly, then that's not Dharma practice. Yeah, yeah, that's really lively. You know? <laughs> so, if you look at you know all the suttas and all the teachings, you know that says you need to have this strong determination. You have to be tough. And importantly, one of the six parameters is joy, joyful effort. And not just effort. It actually means joyful effort. You have to rejoice in your efforts. The more you practice, the lighter it should be. Not the more you practice, the heavier and heavier and heavier. And your face become longer and longer and longer. All these papaya face Buddhists. (laughs) Yes, so... It's, it's really, I think, uh, there's some sort of kind of misunderstanding, you know. Again, it comes from like, life is dukkha. Life is not dukkha. You make life dukkha. Yeah? Bhava is dukkha. As long as you are in the state of bhava, one thing, one thing, one thing, then dukkha. But if you recognize how fortunate you are, you know, then no matter what, what sort of problem we face, of course, you know, initially when the problem first arises, oh, yeah. but try to in the next moment see that no matter what, you know, no matter what problem you have, It's only an experience. Problems happen nowhere else but in your head. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Happiness also doesn't happen anywhere else but in your mind. Really? Do you believe that or not? Don't just simply agree, okay? (laughs) yet this is our training this is Buddha's way of training is to see that whatever happiness or suffering that you can think of you see I already I said the word you think of it's only an experience nothing whatsoever takes place beyond the experience And then when you look at the nature of experience, it's unstable. Experience is always changing. Experience is always changing. Experience is always changing. But when we lose sight of the fact that all suffering and happiness takes place in mind then it becomes heavy yeah so here mm, now how do we 
how do we practice the Dharma? How do we get on the path? Here it says, enter the path of undistracted. Yeah? So it says, don't squander your life away with distractions. Instead, enter the path of undistracted learning, reflection, and meditation. Yeah? Learning, reflection, and meditation. Those are the three, the three things that we have to engage in. Learning is listening, studying, like right now, we're learning, right? So we learn, we learn about the Dharma. But just learning about the Dharma is not enough. We also need to do reflection. What does reflection mean? Hmm? Internalize. How do we internalize? How do we internalize? How? <laughs> Internalize already. Uh, here, it's, it's like that, but here, even more, more technical. Uh, to, so you, you learn, right? Uh, you, you're listening. So you, you take in, and then you reflect, meaning you think. Wait, does this sound right or not? You think. That's basically what contemplation here means, or reflection. You have to think. Does, does, this, does this sound right or not? Yeah, I think it sounds right. And, and, and it sounds right because of this, this, and this. So you have to use your intellect, right? you have to use your thinking mind to, to consider, is this right or not? Is this reasonable or not? Like the Buddha said in the Kalama Sutta. In that way, you investigate. You cannot just accept. You investigate. Then through investigation, through analysis, then you come to certain conclusions. The conclusion might be, therefore, Everything is mine only. Right? Everything is only experienced in the mind, through the mind, by the mind. Yeah? Through reflection, you have to come to this conclusion. Everything is experienced in the mind, through the mind, and by the mind. And everything experienced is mine. For What's experiencing? The mind. Where is the experience taking place? In the mind. What is it experiencing? The mind. Three. Then, okay. Right now it's still intellectually. But this is very strong. Intellectually 
even if it is intellectually, through thinking, it's a very strong conclusion. If you can come to that conclusion, then the next step is meditating. That's when the traditional idea of meditation starts. You sit and you observe how the mind works. And you observe and observe and observe until you, you see directly, you experience directly that yes, it's the mind. Yeah, it's the mind. Then wisdom arises. And so it's only through this process of these three. Right in Chinese, when <coughs> this yeah, this is what is. Yeah. Wen Shi Xiu is this. Yeah. Learning, reflection, and meditate, or practicing of meditating. Literally, it's like listening. Because in the past, you learn through listening, not so much reading. The oral tradition. Now, this next line, while training in appearances and mind as the path. This is important, very important. So what is our training? Our training is to train in appearances and the mind as the path. What does that mean? Appearances and the mind as the path. We talk about the path a lot. The path, the path, the path, the path, the path. What is the path? The way, the road. What is it? What is the content of the path? <clears throat> the path here means the process. The method, the process. The path is not like some place in some psychic world that you have to enter. The path is a process, a process of changing the mind, a process of training the mind. And what are you training? You're training in appearances and mind. What does that mean? What does that mean? Appearances and mind. What are appearances? What are appearances? Phenomena. Phenomena. What are phenomena? <laughs> Experience. Experiences. Okay, like what? Huh? Appearances. Xiang. What is xiang? Feelings. Thoughts, feelings. What else? Images. Experiences is a good word. So, what kinds of experiences? Good, bad. All. Visual experiences. Yeah. Auditorial experiences. All experiences of the five senses. All those are appearances 
Why are they called appearances? Why are they called appearances? Why are they called Xiang? Why? It is off. Why call appearances? Mental images. Mental images, okay. So, so what does it mean to say this is appearance and this is appearance and this is appearance and this is appearance and this is appearance? Well, what does it mean? It will change. It will change. Why, why, why the word appearance? Because you are deceived by seeing, hearing, touching. So if they are appearances, then they are not what? Huh? All right, this is pretty good. <laughs> if they are appearances. What qualities do they have? What qualities do appearances have? Impermanence. Impermanence, yes. What else? Subject to? Change. Change. Subject to what else? You, so right now you're all still talking about um, outside. In every experience, there is the there is the subjective end of experience and the objective end of experience. Change, impermanence, yes, all of that is on the objective end of appearances. What about the subjective end of appearances? Needs. Which is? It's projection. Appearances are projections. My projection results in how all of this appears to me. Your projection results in what, how all of this appears to you. So each of us here in this room have a different set of appearances. appearance here we're not just talking about red with gold letters when we say appearances when we say appearances yeah we are also talking about what does this appear what does this appear how does this appear uh, to you Kawa, solid, what else? Too abstract. Make it more personal. Give a more personal answer. What does this appear to you as? Knowledge. <laughs> yes. See, each of us, to each of us, this thing here appears differently. Yeah? 
I have actually used this before. So I'm wondering what it's doing here. Because the Ta Zhang is not here. This is an index to the Ta Zhang. That one looks like the Zhonghua Ta Zhang. So that's my, because of my, you know, experience with this, I have a whole different experience because they appear to me differently. When I walked up here a few hours before, I look over here and I'm thinking, huh, I wonder why the index to the Ta Zhang is here. But if you have never used this before, that's not your appearance, right? That's not your appearance. Then my appearance includes looking at the index, looking for the Ta Zhang, and getting yelled at by the professor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for not doing enough searching, right? All sorts of appearances. So, so everything is a matter of appearance. Yeah. Thank you. And the reason why this can appear to me in one way, to you in another way, to you in another way, and so on and so forth, is because there's no essence here. No unchanging essence here. Hmm? That's what we call emptiness. Emptiness is not nothingness. Emptiness is that there is no one unchanging essence so that no matter who comes in, they have the same experience of this. Yes, so that's appearances and emptiness. That is inseparable. That's Madhyamaka, Zhongguan. Appearances and emptiness is inseparable. Because of emptiness, appearances are possible. If there is no emptiness, no appearance is possible. Meaning all of us will have to rigidly come to the same conclusion and have the same emotional responses, the same memories, everything the same when we walk in and look at a volume like this. But here in this text, it says appearances and mind. It doesn't say appearances and emptiness. So the emphasis is slightly different, not opposed. It's slightly different. Because here, in this case, it wants to emphasize, uh, so this is within Tibetan tradition. We say that uh, Madhyamaka analyzes um, that which is outside. Then, Dzogchen and Mahamudra analyzes experience itself, mind itself. 
Meaning that here now we say in the Chinese tradition, often we they quote Hua uh, Yanjing, so everything is mine. Everything is mine in the sense that we can only perceive things with mind. But not only that, what we perceive is none other than mind. What is perceiving is mind. And what is perceived, called appearances, is none other than mind. And if we can train in that, that should be our main training in this bardo. In the bardo of this life, the main training that we should engage in is to understand that all our experiences are nothing but mind. The first, so we say, oh, this is some special Mahayana thing or special Vajrayana thing. <laughs> but the very first line of the Dhammapada already tells us that. Huh? Mind is the forerunner of everything. We come one full circle back to the very fundamentals of Buddhism. That whatever we experience is simply mind. All appearances are nothing but mind. See, it's not enough to just believe this. You might start by believing it. There is some benefit if you start by believing it. Everything is mine. But you cannot stop there. Because if you stop there, right? Not much power. If you have a lot of faith and devotion to Buddha, and then then you you learn. Buddha says everything is mine. And then you say I, I believe I trust that, right? Uh, that can be useful a little bit. So that when you experience whatever you experience, you say oh Buddha says it's only mine. Then that's that's enough. But uh, when something bigger takes place when a very exciting appearance turns up then it's more than mine now <laughs> Ooh, so nice <laughs> like it's something out there you know? or when something really disturbing comes up you know then it's not just mine now it's mine plus something else <laughs> not enough so in this bardo Whatever it is, so what it's saying is, whatever it is that we are experiencing, positive, negative, desirable, undesirable, we have to keep coming back to this point. It's just mind. It's just mind. There is a verse, let me look for it. I'll give you some examples from different traditions that speaks to this point. So Bodhidharma, <clears throat> Chan tradition. When your mind 
doesn't stir inside. Internally, when your mind doesn't stir, doesn't start moving, the world doesn't arise outside. When the world and the mind are both clear, this is true view. This is the correct view. And such understanding is true understanding. If the mind doesn't stir, then there's no appearances. Then even if the mind stirs and appearances arise, they're actually nothing but the mind. And so the first step, the first step, uh, I mean, okay, we, we, we know a lot of these terms, shamatha and vipassana, right? But shamatha and vipassana, depending on context, they are different things. Huh? They are different things. Shamatha and vipassana is not always talking about the same thing. Different tradition of training will identify different types of shamatha and different types of vipassana. In this tradition, yeah, in, in Dzogchen and Mahamudra, in this tradition, shamatha is the first part, yeah, which is understanding that if the mind doesn't stir, then appearances don't arise. That is training in shamatha. So you train in seeing that when the mind doesn't move, then the world also doesn't arise. When the mind moves, then the world arises. So this is training in shamatha. What is training in vipassana in this case? The training in vipassana is no longer trying to control the mind so that it doesn't move. You see, the, the preliminary training is to train the mind so that it doesn't move. Because you want to be able to see when the mind doesn't move, doesn't arise, doesn't stir, yeah, then the world doesn't arise. So in Chinese we say, uh, sort of like, uh, you want to, you want to uh, train so that uh, they say the nian tou bu qi. Right? Nian tou bu qi. Because the minute uh, this, this thought, or literally the head of the thought arises, then samsara arises. Yes? So then you want to train uh, for thought not to arise. So that's shamatha. But here we say, if you train just that way, it's not stable. It's not reliable. Why? Because it's the nature of the mind to move. This might sound a little bit strange. But here they say, it's not movement. It's radiance. The mind is radiant. That means 
it glows. Mind is not just empty like space. Mind is also radiant. It, it, it radiates like a light. Using the example of light, it radiates. When we have no recognition, that radiation becomes movement. Then samsara is produced. But when we have recognition, we understand and realize that that stirring is just the natural radiance of the mind. That's training in vipassana, in this context. A special insight. So that then, whether the mind is still or the mind moves, nothing has changed. Whether the mind is still or the mind moves, awareness is always present. <coughs> so there's no longer a need to stop the mind from moving. Because fundamentally, from one perspective, you can say, no matter what, the mind doesn't move. No matter what, from one perspective, <coughs> look at it from the perspective of empty, the mind is never moving. Look at it from the perspective of wisdom, the mind is always clear. It's always radiating. So the mind can never move in any case. The supposed movement is simply a misperception. Misperceiving. Then it is experienced as movement. Then it is experienced as Samsara, the six realms. And so in the Tan tradition, they say, fundamentally, not a single thing exists. It's not saying that, you know, there's nothing. It's saying that the mind doesn't move in the first place. So this is the main training for the barter of this life. The train in understanding and in always maintaining the insight that everything that appears is mind. So the mind is empty, but the mind is also radiant. The mind is empty, but the mind is also radiant. And this radiance has no limit. 
Tibetan. Tongpa, Selva, and Gungkyap, all pervading. It pervades everything. These are the three qualities. Essence is empty. Essence is empty. Appearance is radiant. Characteristic is all-pervading. In Chinese tradition, there's one text that describes this very close to this explanation. It's in this text called Da Sen Qi Xing Lun, where it talks about the mind has Ti, Xiang, and Yong. Ti is Kong. Xiang is Zi. And uh, Yong is uh, that it can adapt to all situations. It's like in the Tibetan case. Yeah, all pervading. So you see these types of teachings, you know, occurring in different traditions. When you come to like the essence of mind training, it's not just in one tradition. So while training in appearances and mind as the path, I will refine my realization of the three kayas. I will refine my realization of the three kayas. What are the three kayas? Pandan kaya, gula melaka kaya, and vegetarian kaya. <laughs> Only Malaysians will think of food. <laughs> think of three kayas. <laughs> the three kayas are the three bodies, right? Yes. Dharma kaya, right? Samboga kaya, and Nirmana kaya, right? Dharma kaya. Sambhogakaya and Nirmanakaya. The Sanshan. So what are the three Kayas? <laughs> what are the three Kayas? Generally speaking, when we say three Kayas, when we say Sanshan, what are we talking about? talk about oh the three kayas the three kayas what, what are we talking about
What are we talking about? Why, why it says, you know, I will refine my realization of the three kayas. What does that mean there? Ah, yes. It's related to that. Essence, appearance, and characteristic are the three kayas. But that is the inner training. Generally, three kayas are talking about what? The three bodies. Who has the three bodies? Buddhas. Now, all Buddhas have these three bodies. So the first body, not really body, but the first body is the body of Dharma. So all Buddhas have the same Dharmakaya. Meaning, what they realize, what they attain, what they achieve, it is all exactly the same. That's the Dharmakaya. The Sambhogakaya is the forms that they manifest yeah, that are very subtle, very pure, so that only, they say, bodhisattvas on the eighth bhumi and above are able to see and receive teachings from Sambhogakaya. Then, Nirmanakaya is the Buddha form that you and I can both see with our ordinary human. So like people that were alive during the time of Shakyamuni, they saw the Nirmanakaya. Uh, even that, you know, only those who followed him probably saw the Nirmanakaya. Yeah? The rest only saw a beggar walking around with a lot of people asking for food. <laughs> Hmm? They didn't even see the Nirmanakaya. And they just saw another beggar <laughs> walking around with a lot of people getting food from everyone. That's all. That's the Nirmanakaya. Which is the kaya or the body that appears uh, to anyone and everyone that doesn't need to have very high uh, level of refinement in their spirituality. So they say Nirmanakaya are, in a way you can say, very compassionate. The, the compassion of Buddhas are most, uh, is best expressed in the Nirmanakayas. Because the Nirmanakayas are the easiest for us to experience. Sambhogakaya can only be experienced by very advanced bodhisattvas. Therefore, Nirmanakaya expresses the wisdom of Buddhas in the most, you know, kind of, uh, no, the compassion of Buddhas. Dharmakaya expresses the wisdom aspect of Buddhas. It's through wisdom that Dharmakaya is achieved. Through compassion, or for the purpose of compassion, Nirmanakaya manifests. So we say that Buddha Shakyamuni in India is the perfect Nirmanakaya. But there are also many, many other Nirmanakayas. For example, these are all Nirmanakayas. Images of the Buddha. 
they are all a type of Nirmanakaya. Because when we see them, we become inspired. When we see them, we are uplifted. When we see them, we have respect. So they are also Nirmanakayas. Stupas, they are Nirmanakayas. That even uh, texts are Nirmanakayas. Nirmanakaya in Tibetan is actually, the word is what? In Nirmanakaya in Tibetan is? Tukus. Yeah, Tukus is Nirmanakaya. Longku is Sambhogakaya. Chuku is Dharmakaya. Yeah, so what they're saying is those guys are all Nirmanakayas. What we call reincarnate lamas. Yeah, those tukus, that's Nirmanakaya. So sometimes I joke. I said, these days, some Nirmanakayas appear to show you what not to do. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a very compassionate. This is degenerate age. Buddha got to use different ways of teaching us. Some come to show you what to do and some come to show you what not to do. Yeah, so all these are uh, kayas. So that's the common explanation of the three kayas. But here, when it says, I will refine my realization of the three kayas, of course, when we fully achieve Buddhahood, then we manifest the three kayas. Yeah? But, uh, as Singha was pointing out, in a more direct way, the three kayas that is talking about here is to refine my realization of the essence of the mind, the appearance of the mind, and the characteristic of the mind. The essence is empty. The appearance is radiance or clarity. And the characteristic is all-pervading. In the Qixingun. These are the three. And so you train to see the empty aspect of the mind, the radiant aspect of the mind, and the all-pervading aspect of the mind. Another way of expressing the all-pervading is compassion, great compassion. When we say great compassion, is that naturally, Buddha's mind pervades everything. That's the natural compassion. That just, you know, is everywhere. So these three kayas are not something over there. It's not something that you only achieve when, you know, light come out of your head. <laughs> you know, every step you walk on, lotuses appear. 
that time you know, ooh, ooh, three kayas. <laughs> but no, the three kayas is to be trained now. To be trained now. So if you look at, uh, so this is, of course, you know, now the text we are looking at is from the Tibetan tradition. But if you look at the Chinese tradition, a very close explanation of the three kayas in this way, in a very direct way, not just something that happens when you're Buddha, but right now, what are the three kayas? In the Chinese tradition, if you're interested, you look at uh, There is one chapter in there where it talks about, it's the Platform Sutra of the Sixth Patriarch. In Tanjing, inside, it talks about these three kayas in a very similar way. <laughs> we'll put inside the box and throw it away. <laughs> like all the government department complaint box. At the end of the day, just throw away. Yes. Can you please uh, talk about why it is related to compassion? So the three, why is it so connected to compassion? Um, so, yeah, so the compassion is. Uh, related to the third, which is the characteristic. It says that the characteristic of the mind, uh, the empty aspect of the mind is the wisdom aspect. The all-pervading aspect of the mind is compassion. Okay? So why is it compassion? Okay. When there is no wisdom present, then the empty aspect of the mind becomes ignorance. There's no recognition, it becomes ignorance. So, emptiness and ignorance are closely related. Very fine line. Yeah. So the empty aspect of the mind, when that is not realized as emptiness or openness yeah, or spaciousness, then it turns into ignorance so both ignorance and openness share some similar quality which is tidapa but Buddha's tidapa and our tidapa you know completely different but there are some similarities so Buddhas don't care and our don't care there are some similarities but they're totally opposite Buddhas is based on wisdom ours is based on confusion <laughs> then 
the compassion aspect, when there is recognition, when there is realization, that means if you say jet, if there is jet, right, then is compassion. Whereas when there's no realization, no jet, right, then what is it? It's the mind spread all over the place and therefore completely trapped everywhere. Attached everywhere. Because it has produced its own show and now it has fallen in love with its own show. Then it is grasping on everything. So grasping and compassion share some similar qualities. Not giving up. But Buddha's not giving up is called Tabe. <laughs> Our not giving up is attachment. But it's based on the same, the same quality of the mind. That which produces samsara is also that which is great compassion. It's a matter of, is there recognition of not? Is there recognition of not? Is there dread or not? So again, in Chan tradition, in Chinese tradition, we have... Uh, mm, it's easy to misunderstand these types of statements. Uh, but if we, you know, get the key, then we know, ah, that's what it means. Uh, so, right? This is what it means. Which is like, clashes is body. Afflictive emotions is enlightenment. As in, they both have the same basic quality. But a big difference between the two is, is there recognition or no recognition? No recognition, then it becomes afflictive emotions. If there's recognition, then it's enlightenment. So they say, if you miss it by just one hair, the size of one hair, heaven and earth is already separated. Big, you know, differentiation has already occurred.
they heard. They're like, no, we're not practicing, so we're going to start partying. <laughs> Precious human life, yes. Don't waste it. If you're not going to practice hard, you better have a lot of fun. Don't waste away your life. Ten minutes before we go to the next bar, though, <laughs> because it's the dreaming bar. Though, <laughs> if we go straight on, then, barangkali everyone start dreaming. Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.